Welcome back and thank you very much for joining us for another episode of Checking In. Today we have in studio with us Esther Pike with the Kelowna Women's Shelter. Yes. Thank you very much for joining us, Thank Esther. you so much for inviting me. So you are a first for me uh, in the interview series. We've typically held interviews with entrepreneurs and we're curious about their why, how they started, why they started, some of the challenges and obstacles that they've over, overcome within their their vertical or their business. But but I have not stepped into this space of right now a not-for-profit. Mm -hmm. So you're my first. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much. I feel really honored about that, actually. <laughs> so Esther, I, I'm curious, maybe you could tell us uh, just what you're what you're willing to tell us mm -hmm. just a bit about you even how far you have to back up just so we can understand how did you land in Kelowna and when did you land in Kelowna sure absolutely I grew up in Vancouver originally and through circumstance my father got a job here so at 16 I moved to Kelowna. Now, I, I originally thought Vancouver was pretty small ah. growing up because I felt you could go across uh, across Vancouver with a SkyTrain really quickly. So then moving to Kelowna was definitely, it was almost like a culture shock. You know, it's, it's really not that far away. But for a teenager at that time, when you got all the teen angst and you're just unhappy about everything, <laughs> it, was, it was definitely uh, a, a shock. I had to kind of readjust to not being in a big city anymore. Hmm. Um, my working life has all been here though and I originally started working about 17 years of age at a local uh, recycling company Columbia Bottle mm -hmm. and I started out in just frontline customer service first job a uh, little bit more than minimum wage at the time and it was just mm. a way for me to start Practicing everything else I've done before that was a little bit of volunteer work in in Kelowna and This was the time to to actually start making some money so to speak um, That was a very good insight for me into working life and I got really curious about interactions uh, with people you know uh, hierarchical structures uh, really uh, important pieces of, of what good leadership looks like, how to run a company, how to run a business. But but a lot of it really centered around uh, seeing how little things could impact, little changes could impact uh, staff environments and, and how that all worked. So I think somewhere around 18, uh, I started university and it was distance education. I didn't want a student loan, so mm. I ended up working full-time and studying full-time in order to be able to to keep up with everything. I didn't want my degree to take 10 years because I'm very I'm kind of impatient when it comes to achieving stuff. Uh, so my, my life would really be go to work depending on the shift at around 8 a.m., leave and go home by around 5, eat, start studying until 2 a.m., and then repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, um, which was uh, a fantastic seven years of that between my bachelor's and my master's degree. Um, oh, yeah, this was, was a, like a six. This oh was, no, no, this okay. was this was full on. This was yes. full on. I wanted my my bachelor's of science was in psychology, and then mm -hmm. my master's went into occupational or, or business psychology. Uh, and I really had 
a, a great time being able to implement this, the things that I learned in my university life into my work life. So while I was going through this process of university, I was also kind of growing within the company, getting a little bit more leadership, a little bit more responsibility. I ended up having cash handling skills, then key leader, then, then, then team leader, then management. You know, it was, it was kind of a progressive, both on the academic and on the, on the work side, growth. So, so it was wonderful to be able to actually try some of these things that I've learned out. It sounds horrible. It sounds like I was using my staff as guinea pigs, but I wasn't. <laughs> but actually implement some of the things that I learned to try to make, you know, the, the staff's lives better. But that's interesting when you look of, um, at, at your scenario, you had the opportunity to, to keep full-time employment, mm -hmm. and as you shored up new competencies or new learnings, you were able to grow, uh, use them within your work environment, but then as you grew, your opportunity to grow within the organization absolutely. Uh, went hand in hand. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, looking back on it, I don't think I appreciated maybe in that moment how fantastic of an experience that was. And... I, I really am very happy that I, I managed to have that local kind of what started out as a, a, a grassroots company in Kelowna in the Okanagan. It, it wasn't until I started working in the Okanagan that I realized how strong the sense of community is. And I kind of had a sense of it when I started working, but it really changed for me when a, a, a personal tragedy happened. My, my apartment building that my family was living in caught fire. And it was just something that you, you, don't, you don't plan for, you don't anticipate, you don't expect. We didn't have renter's insurance or anything like that because you don't think about those things when you're just finding a place to live. And we were essentially homeless. For, for a bit. The, the government steps in and gives you about three days of food, shelter, and everyday necessary essentials. Um, and we were under the premise in those first couple of, of days that we'd be able to return back into our suites because it had, the fire had been in a, a section of the apartment building that, um, that didn't affect us. So this entire time over the three days we're being told, don't worry about it, you'll, you'll come back in eventually. And that in the afternoon of the third day, we were told, actually, the building is a little bit older. They can't section off the ventilation system. And if they can't turn the vents on, you're not allowed to live in it. It's illegal. So at that point, um, all of the rental units in the Okanagan middle of summer were gone. And somebody, I, I can't honestly remember who, but somebody who was, who was helping us out at the time said, go to the Red Cross. And I thought... What's the Red Cross going to do? You know, they help people overseas in war zones, you know? What's, what, what's the Red Cross going to do? But I asked, yeah, okay, going to go there, see what happens. And I sat down, and there was a woman who was a... She was a volunteer. I didn't know that at the time, but she was a volunteer, and she asked me a couple of questions about how I'm doing. Uh, what is it that you need right now? Do you need food, you know, vouchers? And I just honestly said, look, I, I can get by without having a full kitchen. I can get by without having all of my clothes right now, but I just, I cannot afford to live in a hotel for who knows how many months. And we just, we can't do that. 
And grant th th this was in the middle of me finishing uh, one of my finals. It was my final semester for that year, so I'm trying to crank mm -hmm. out a couple of essays it, while mm -hmm. all of this is going on. And she got up from the table, walked away, um, talked to her manager, came back and said, here's an extra seven day extended stay. We're gonna make sure that you're still in the same hotel that you're in right now, in the same suite so you don't have to keep moving. And we're gonna call you every day with new numbers for potential rental units. Um, and, and we're gonna make sure, and we're gonna continue this until, until we, can, we can find you a permanent place to stay. And I said at that moment, I said, well, I can't, I can't afford to pay you this back. This is wonderful, but I can't, I can't pay this back. She said, it's, it's hmm. not something to pay. You know, we're, we're offering this to you. This is emergency services. And even in that moment of crisis, she was able to take me back and start thinking about, wow, stuff like this happens in the community. You know, this is something unreal for me. I always had a little bit of a skepticism, I have to say, about nonprofits. Because you hear these stories about how, uh, you know, they, they use 80 to 90% of their funding goes towards the CEO costs and the administrative costs and it doesn't act, your money doesn't actually go into uh, the, the cause that, that you're donating to. So I was always, you know, this is the stuff that I heard from news sure. and events that's happened, you know, and it kind of got ingrained to me of like, nonprofits, ugh, no, I don't think so. Uh, and then I see, I'm on the receiving end, really, mm -hmm. of emergency services from, from uh, such a large organization that I originally wouldn't have even thought about in the Okanagan. So you, you're, you're pursuing uh, an educational path, mm -hmm. path that is Bachelor of Science, Merit in Occupational Psychology. Mm -hmm. What was the job that you were hoping to have once you received your um, schooling? Originally, mm -hmm. I went into a psychology focus because I thought, oh, I'll be a counselor. I was very, from a very young age, I was always interested in the brain and how it functioned and how people think and how they act and why. It was always the why question when I was growing up. Um, but going through the program, I realized something about myself in, in some of those scenarios where you would be discussing things like uh, uh, addiction or depression or suicidal thoughts. Um, I realized during those practice sessions that I wasn't really the best at being able to leave that at, at work and separate myself mm. from that. Mm -hmm. um, it, I, I started even in that educational area sensing that I was taking it on mm -hmm. quite a bit. But I was already about two or three years into my bachelor's at that point, and I thought, well, how am I going to make the best of it? And I realized that the places that I excelled within psychology had to do with uh, motivation at work and uh, how employees respond to leadership, um, organizations and hierarchies, kind of the sociology behind a company. Uh, so I decided to focus on what ended up being my master's focus was uh, occupational or, or business psychology. So that's how that ended. And, and honestly, the, the idea was to go into for-profit. At that point, even, even focusing on the master's, the idea was to go into a for-profit um, company, uh, either, you know, eventually a consultancy. But really, it was, it, it was all about how do I help employees and for-profits be their best self? 
-hmm. and help that company grow alongside themselves and how to help companies really work with those people in order to achieve that that common goal and be happy on both ends and and yet you've landed yes in the not-for-profit yes. world but what an interesting pair or marrying you've got experience of being on the receiving end mm -hmm. you have the operational prowess to know maybe how uh, best practice for mm -hmm. running for profit mm -hmm. and you're being able to take that knowledge and skill set into yeah. not for profit and it was a so, conscious choice it was a conscious choice at that point after I ended up volunteering for the Red Cross quite a bit in my spare time weekends <laughs> really so on top of full-time work full-time school I volunteered two days a week at the Red Cross administrative office I originally wanted to go into their it's term disaster management area because that was the the area that the the lady had helped me in so I wanted to really give back to that but my schedule just didn't fit around that you had to be there on call because Nobody's going to wait for you to <laughs> have time to help somebody in a crisis, right? So I thought, okay, well, I have a lot of administrative skills. I'll help them out at reception. So then reception work ended up being help us develop this volunteer uh, resource program because about 86%, I think, at the time of the Red Cross was volunteer-based. And mm -hmm. that's how they kept their costs low. Mm -hmm. Everybody, the majority of people who, who work there, they, they don't get paid. Yeah. which was wonderful, another thing that was wonderful to me. Um, then it turned into helping, um, uh, being one of the team who was on the human resources side of the Syrian refugee crisis. So that, w that was another mm -hmm. thing that was, that was really unique, uh, being able to provide that remote assistance to the East Coast in an area that I had a, a different skill set in as opposed to emergency response. So I really grew within that nonprofit volunteering side too. And through that process, I realized, wow, there, there are so many things in a nonprofit environment that could be beneficial if applied to a for-profit. And that was something that I became really, really intrigued with, is how does such a large organization manage to motivate 86% of its staff, basically, to work for free because mm -hmm. they believe in the cause, because they're mm -hmm. so um, committed to the vision and the mission that they don't even care about getting paid. They're willing to provide their time, hmm. right? So that's that's one of the reasons I, I, I really wanted to get into nonprofit. It was a difficult transition. I had to take a little bit of a step down in terms of <laughs> rank, so to speak, in mm -hmm. order to get into a nonprofit. But I started out at the at the YMCA in mm -hmm. as an executive assistant and as a as a grants coordinator and fund development administrator and then went into the employment sector and just kind of started growing from there and now I'm, now I'm at the women's shelter how is so bringing us to women's shelter mm -hmm. are do you have a role to play in so your title is resource development coordinator mm -hmm. do you have a is a is a part of your role uh, looking for funding or grants for the programs? Yes, yes. So um, it's about an extra, we do, we do get funding from the BC Society of Transition Housing, but there is always an, an extra amount that we need to fundraise for ourselves. And it, it tends to be, it's prob it grows every year, but it tends to be a around the half million mark. Uh, each year that I'm responsible for fundraising through through various means throughout the community. 
And I'm curious, were, were many of those fundraising activities, were they event-driven? They were. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah. what is that? I mean, here we are, we're 10 months, 11 months into, into COVID, yeah. this new world. Yeah. How, what does the horizon look like for not-for-profits, for um, funding and, and donor mm -hmm. acquisition? How... I always have very much admired a nonprofit's ability to be very resilient. Mm. It's mm -hmm. it's funny that you mention it because I think that nonprofits to a certain extent are very well positioned because they have gotten used to having to very mm -hmm. quickly adapt mm -hmm. in order to be able to keep funding, stay relevant, uh, move with whatever political tides might happen. Mm. Um, it is interesting to me that, that oftentimes, and there, there's reasoning behind it, but it is a little bit difficult to watch as nonprofits, such as the Kelowna Women's Shelter, um, they are so community focused. And yet oftentimes in the way that nonprofits are, are, are structured in terms of the reporting and, and, and uh, just how we see them, they get penalized for trying to implement business practices. So on, on the one hand, mm. you have this expectation of a, of a nonprofit to be stable, uh, to be resourceful, to be resilient, to, to have a, a, a very uh, good understanding and a very um, very focused and, and driven uh, focus on on remaining stable and making sure you have enough funding and you're able to function. And yet, on the other hand, we're not allowed to to hold revenue. We're not allowed to mm -hmm. really have you know. There's this expectation that every year you are starting kind of from zero. scratch. Mm -hmm. You're starting mm -hmm. from zero again and again and again, and it is hard to maintain some sort of uh, stability when you realize that the cycle is just going to repeat itself over and over again. Now, nonprofits have been very good at walking that line, mm -hmm. which is, uh, I would say, probably a, a, a benefit during COVID because it wasn't something new. We have been mm. pivoting for so long that the focus of the staff was always, oh, this is the new problem. Okay, let's tackle it, right? For me, personally, that experience was um, extra difficult because I started in January of last year, and then by oh. March, <laughs> everything had turned. So here I am in this position where I'm really wanting to understand how the women's shelter has done stuff in the past, what I can use, uh, what I can maybe change or improve upon, just kind of getting to know the organization. And as soon as I had concluded that, hmm, okay, third-party events and internal event fundraisers are, are something that really drives the fundraising part of it. We got, sorry, no events mm -hmm. for who knows how long. Mm -hmm. Try to pivot right now. Um, we did. We, I, we still managed to you know, work as a team and really focus on, on driving those targets. But, yeah, I think from, from a nonprofit perspective, it's been constant. Mm -hmm. It's been constant. It's not mm -hmm. the first time we've had to pivot. It's not the first time that we've had challenges that we had to meet. We, we don't tend to lull ourselves into a false sense of security very easily. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the real takeaways for me that I'm hearing, Esther, is uh, 
I, your work ethic is admirable to be able to, there's not many people, doesn't matter the age, but there's not many people that stay on in a full-time work environment and school full-time and have the ability to juggle both of those demanding positions. Mm. But you, you, you intentionally did not wish to go in debt. Mm. That's a choice. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's a, a, I mean, certainly one I respect. So you, you worked hard, you put yourself through school, when faced with uh, adversities and challenges that, that were beyond your uh, ability to manage, you could have sat down and wallowed in it, or you um, appreciated the helping hand that was given to you and allowed it to be um, something that maybe inspired you. Well, it, it, it did, it clearly did, in giving back and volunteering your time and that's that beautiful ecosystem uh, absolutely that we have in in giving back thrilled to have you in our community thrilled you. that you're at the women's shelter and we look forward uh to seeing you out and about in community when we can gather yes absolutely thank you so much for having me i really enjoyed this thank you for coming in esther <laughs>